Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corinne Pettit, and today we're practicing social distancing and meeting virtually for a special edition of SoundBites to talk about the coronavirus. We'll address many of the questions we've received through our patient navigation center or through social media. This podcast is for you, our listeners, to help offer relevant information to meet your concerns. Joining me today is Dr. Stacy Bell, the Foundation's Chief Scientific and Medical Officer, who recently provided a presentation about the coronavirus on behalf of the National Health Council. Joining Dr. Bell for this discussion is Dr. Mark Lebwall, the Waldman Professor and Chairman of the Kimberly and Eric J. Waldman Department of Dermatology at ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Health System. Dr. Lebwall is a past chairman of the Psoriasis Task Force of the American Academy of Dermatology, where he also serves as a past president. Dr. Lebwall is also chairman emeritus of the Medical Board of the National Psoriasis Foundation. His clinical research interests include skin cancer and inflammatory skin diseases such as psoriasis and atopic dermatitis. Well, welcome, Dr. Lebwall and Dr. Bell. Thank you for being on SoundBites today. So we've all received a number of emails from different businesses such as gyms, banks, stores, and more about what they're doing to counter the coronavirus. We've also seen how rapidly this situation is changing daily, even hourly in the news. Let's focus on what COVID-19 means for people with psoriatic disease. So Dr. Bell, just how does the coronavirus affect people with psoriatic disease, which as we know is considered a chronic medical condition? Are people who have psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis considered a vulnerable group even without being on an immunosuppressive therapy? Some people are fearing that they are immunocompromised just from having psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis. Thank you, everyone, for being here today. Although psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis are immune-mediated diseases, if an individual is not on an immunosuppressive medication or if they don't have underlying conditions, there may be only minimal additional risk of contracting COVID-19. Patients with severe disease on potentially immunosuppressive therapies and or those presenting with a related condition may be at greater risk of infection. And Dr. Lebwald, do you have any additional comments? I agree with everything Stacey said. I will say, you know, psoriasis in general is too active an immune system. It's not immunosuppressed. So I, I would not worry about psoriasis setting you up for infection with coronavirus. It's much too early for us to have accurate data about what makes us susceptible or not susceptible to this virus or what makes it more severe or less severe. We simply don't have data. It's a new virus. We're not used to it. And we do the best we can looking at past data to make intelligent decisions. But no, I do not believe having psoriasis makes you more susceptible to this. So as a follow-up on that, Dr. Lovell, would the use of a face mask help someone with a compromised immune system? When you look to other countries, you see everyone wearing face masks. The only reason not to here, uh, and I'm going to say, if you have a face mask at home and you're not wearing it, then leave it at a hospital. We are in dire need of more personal protective equipment, and everybody is short. There's a serious, severe shortage of personal protective equipment. But if you're not going to leave it off at a hospital, then wear it. Yes, 
face masks are to some extent protective against this virus. And we'll talk later about other things you can do. But yes, wearing a face mask is protective. All right. Thank you. Uh, so for both Dr. Lovewell and Dr. Bell, we've received a lot of questions from many people with psoriasis and or psoriatic arthritis who are on biologics that could suppress the immune system. Can you offer any tips about what to do or what not to do in regards to such treatments? Should someone stop taking their biologic? And if they do, what's the consequence for control of their psoriasis? And furthermore, are there specific considerations for each type of biologic? As soon as this started, I was getting hundreds, literally hundreds of emails a day from patients on biologics saying, what do I do? And so that day, I, I had my fellow put together all of the data from the pivotal trials for all of the biologics we have for psoriasis and look at which ones showed an increase in viral infections. And it turned out many of them were a little more, a little less than the placebo group. So in other words, no impact at all. I would say the numbers for the TNF blockers were higher, but the placebo numbers were higher as well. But, uh, having said that, though, um, the, the TNF blockers and those drugs are Enbrel, Humira, Remicade, and Synthia have black box warnings about susceptibility to infection. If you look at the other agents, the newer ones, they block much less of the immune system. Those are the IL-17 blockers like Cosentix, Taltz, and Solik, or the IL-23 blockers like um, uh, Illumia, Tremphia, and Skyrizi. Uh, I'm also leaving out Stellara, which blocks IL-12 and IL-23. So all of the latter drugs, the newer drugs, don't have black box warnings uh, on susceptibility to infection. Only the TNF blockers do. And when you look at the data, their numbers are very close to the placebo rate of patients getting things like the flu, colds, things that are similar to where the coronavirus hits. So based on that data, we have been not, not telling our patients on the newer drugs to stop their treatment, although if someone actively is diagnosed with the infection, we are asking them to stop their treatment. Having said all that, uh, we have no data. We, we don't know anything about the coronavirus. We're only guessing how it will act compared to similar respiratory tract viruses in the past. And what I'd like to add to that, too, is because of that absence of data, and just to reiterate that point from Dr. Lovewell, you know, our, the NPF Medical Board had extensive discussions and will continue to have extensive discussions monitoring this situation very closely. But at this point in time, the Medical Board does not recommend that all patients stop their biologic therapy. There actually could potentially be more risk to those patients if they are stopping that therapy. Um, with that being said, um, the medical board also recommends, as Dr. Lovell mentioned, you know, stopping a biologic if someone is diagnosed with active COVID-19 infection. There's also, you know, the recommendation from the MPF medical board is that if an individual is in a high-risk group, which we'll talk a little bit about, we would encourage them to have a conversation with their healthcare provider. Very similar to what Dr. Lovell just mentioned, um, if someone has an underlying condition and they're on a specific biologic or a specific therapy, having that conversation with their provider um, may result in an alteration of their treatment plan, um, but that's something that each individual case and each individual patient should be, you know, deciding in partnership with their provider. You know, in addition to that, some of the factors that patients should go in when they're talking to their healthcare provider that they should keep in mind and their provider should be discussing with them as well, is there specific treatment being used? You know, Dr. Lovell just mentioned some of the newer therapies and them targeting regions within the immune system. Unfortunately, we do not have data and um, how those 
targeted therapies relate to COVID-19 infection. However, we do have some other data that we can reference. And in addition to that, you know, the age of the patient, the disease characteristics, and then as I mentioned previously, there are any potential underlying conditions. There also may be specific considerations or concerns for those patients, you know, their work situation. They're a first responder and they're battling psoriatic disease. Their considerations may be different, which is based on their risk. Dr. Lebel? So first of all, after the medical board came out with what I think was a superb statement, a lot of other organizations copied it and essentially came out and said the same thing. Many of the pharmaceutical companies also have come out with statements now, which pretty much much echo what the uh, NPF said. We've tried to talk some of our patients into switching from TNF blockers to other drugs. That is not... Uh, there is no evidence for that uh, because we don't know what the coronavirus does. Great. That's all really good information. Thank you. So for another question for both of you, if someone hasn't started a biologic yet, is this a good time for them to start that? And are there any options to support access and provide further information? Yeah. So, you know, it takes a couple of weeks to get the approval for these drugs. Hopefully this is going to be over soon. It may linger for a few months, but certainly getting the approval for the drug, it's probably wise to start now so that we can, uh, by the time this is over, we can have the drug approved. In terms of starting new patients, it really depends on how sick they are. If someone is debilitated from psoriasis, they are probably as compromised as anyone in terms of susceptibility to bad infection. And if someone's whole skin is broken down with psoriasis, then uh, I would not hesitate to start a patient now. And I have started several patients on it. And then it's a case-by-case judgment. If a patient is badly affected, we usually will start it. If they're not as badly affected, we might delay. And from an MPF standpoint, you know, I know that there's been, we've had a number of questions coming in as far as, is the MPF still available to provide information about treatments? If people are needing to start a biologic, by all means, um, the MPF is, is fully supporting their, our community right now. Our patient navigation center is open regularly. They can assist with access as well. Um, we can also provide some information uh, as far as potential options for telehealth, how to prepare for appointments with their healthcare providers if those appointments need to occur remotely as they would be starting a new therapy. So there are definitely ways that the MPF is still available for folks in those situations. Um, and if, as Dr. Lobel indicated, uh, you know, if a healthcare provider feels that individuals should start on their therapies, by all means, that's something the MPF would support as well. Great. So are oral systemic immunosuppressive therapies the same or are patients at a greater risk? So um, it depends which one you're talking about. I certainly believe the data would show that uh, methotrexate and cyclosporin are much more immunosuppressive than uh, apremilast, uh, uh, which is Otesla, uh, or acetretin, which is soriatine. Um, but having said that, you can't just stop methotrexate cold. You have to taper people off of it. That can only be done in discussions with your physician. And I will say in patients who are on methotrexate or certainly cyclosporin, those are patients that I am cautioning to, to self-isolate. Keep yourself apart from others as best you can to protect yourself against this virus. Uh, and again, methotrexate can't just be stopped cold. And cyclosporin as well, we often will taper off. Otesla, apremilast, what's called a phosphodiesterase inhibitor. Caffeine is a phosphodiesterase inhibitor. So, it, you know, and it has not been associated with any immunosuppressive effects. And acetretin is a cousin of vitamin A. So again, not been associated with any 
immunosuppressive effects. And I think those two drugs are very safe. I also think phototherapy is safe. And people who are doing home phototherapy are fine. People who are coming to the office for phototherapy, we are trying to keep people at home if we can. From an MPF standpoint, unfortunately, we do not have COVID-19 specific or related data in many of these cases. Um, again, by extrapolation, we can make some assessments. But for the most part, as Dr. Lubble mentioned, you know, the MPF Medical Board feels that patients on oral immunosuppressive therapy may be at a greater risk of infection depending on the medication. I think the other key piece to add to the information that Dr. Lubble noted is even for things like methotrexate, you know, dose is going to be critical. And so looking at the, the dose that the individual had been receiving over time, looking at their stability, looking at their medical history. And, you know, as Dr. Lovell noted, you know, when we talk to some of our rheumatology colleagues and even some of our dermatology colleagues that have used it for years, you know, they feel that it can be provided to their patients safely. Um, but I think that, again, that goes back to understanding the history of that individual. And as Dr. Lovell noted, too, if there's any concern about it, then isolation or very proactive execution of some of the CDC guidelines for social distancing and, and uh, hand washing and those types of things become even more imperative for those individuals. Great. So on the topic of hand washing, let's talk about some of the coronavirus precautions that have been recommended. So with hand washing specifically, how does somebody who may have palmal plantar psoriasis where they have open sores on their hands properly sanitize without irritating that further? Um, so that's a bigger problem than you can imagine. In the last few days, patients have come in the office literally with their hands cracked and bleeding. Everybody is overwashing. They're taking the uh, recommendations for how to avoid catching this virus very seriously. Now, there are a number of hand sanitizers that say on them for sensitive skin, and they are indeed better for sensitive skin. The other thing you can do is right after you disinfect your hands or wash your hands, immediately put on a hand cream. And patients have to find the one they like and are going to use, but putting on a hand cream is good. Uh, and a lot of it, many times a day. The other thing you can do is wear vinyl gloves so that you don't have to keep washing your hands. And that would be a solution as well. And as far as some further tips on that, the MPF actually re-released one of its articles in the advance this past week on the use of moisturizers and hand creams for protection of the skin. And so I would encourage everyone to check that out as well. Great. Thank you. So Dr. Lovewell, we know you're in New York, which is right now the epicenter of the outbreak in the U.S. What are the symptoms of coronavirus and what should people with psoriatic disease do if they suspect they have coronavirus? So the main symptoms are cold-like symptoms. Almost 100% of patients have fever, at least a low-grade fever. Dry cough is the vast majority of patients. Muscle aches and pains similar to the flu uh, occur in a high proportion of patients. Headache is in a somewhat lower proportion. Sore throat also occurs. So it's the kind of symptoms you get when you get the flu or a cold. And if you have those symptoms, presume that you have COVID-19 infections. Act as if you've acquired the virus. And by the way, we don't recommend testing of mild cases. We recommend patients self-quarantine. They go home, they protect the people around them, and they protect the, the uh, people outside from catching this. They have to presume that they're, that they're infected. Uh, I will say also, if they do go in and get tested, a quarter of the tests are false negatives. In other words, somebody could have COVID-19, the test could come back negative, and they could then be outside spreading it because the test was incorrectly 
called negative. The, there are a couple of early symptoms that are starting to emerge. Loss of taste and smell appears to be an early symptom. And there are some patients who are presenting now with gastrointestinal symptoms, diarrhea, abdominal pain. So we're seeing other pictures of this disease come forward. Great. That's good to know. And on that same kind of theme, uh, Dr. Bell, would you recommend that anyone with psoriasis be tested for the coronavirus? So going back to our early discussion topic, as far as those with psoriatic disease, psoriasis specifically being at greater risk of contracting COVID-19 infection, by no means would I recommend that everyone with psoriasis be tested for COVID-19 for, for a variety of reasons right now. You know, one of which is because their general risk is really, you know, uh, minimal additional risk against the general population. In addition to that, as Dr. Lovell just noted, if someone is not experiencing those types of symptoms, they should not be putting themselves at risk of going to a testing center. They likely are not infected if they're not showing signs and symptoms. And in addition, if someone is showing those signs and symptoms and they do have psoriasis, the recommendation, especially for mild, as Dr. Lovell mentioned, is self-isolation versus trying to put someone at greater exposure or risk, you know, going to a physician's office, et cetera. If a patient or one of their family members does get sick, does experience these symptoms, and they suspect that it's COVID-19, you know, our recommendation would be for them to stay at home and to telephone their healthcare provider immediately. Discuss with their healthcare provider what the next steps, you know, should be. Um, we recommend all of our patients, if they are infected with COVID-19, to be under the care of a healthcare provider, to be in communication with them. Right now, there is a, a large number of individuals that remain uh, mild with this infection, but there are a number of examples where patients become more severe very quickly. The affected inv individual should be in touch with their healthcare provider. They should also let their providers know that they are taking, you know, a therapy for their psoriasis if they are, whether that's a biologic or another immunosuppressive therapy so that they can actively discuss the steps if they are infected and what they would do with their treatment. So Dr. Lovewell, given the situation is changing daily, sometimes hourly, what key guidelines can you offer someone who has a chronic medical condition? Specifically, what's the best way to avoid contracting? the coronavirus? Sure. I mean, you know, the best thing you can do is protect yourself through the measures that have been recommended publicly. Hand wash frequently, disinfect frequently, use um, disinfectant on surfaces that are touched frequently. In many of the cities where it's rampant, such as New York, there's a government mandate to stay at home unless you have a critical job. You can go out for groceries. You can even go out to exercise as long as you keep six feet from anybody else. But we are encouraging everyone to stay at home to uh, what's been called flatten the curve to prevent the spreading of this disease from one person to another. The other thing that I tell every patient, and I tell them to try to do this at home, but that's to exercise. The group of patients who actually die from coronavirus are a group of patients who are debilitated. And to stay in shape will protect you against that. So I do encourage patients to exercise at home as much as possible. And Dr. Bell, for those who have recently lost their job and potentially their health insurance due to social isolation measures, which can mean that they've lost access to their treatments, can you offer any suggestions to help access their treatment options? I'd be happy to comment. So, you know, it is a very stressful time for all of the individuals nationwide, worldwide, actually, not only because of the potential ramifications of infection and potential anxiety about contracting the disease, but because of just our, the change in our day-to-day -day lifestyle. Um, many have lost jobs, as you mentioned, some of them, their health insurance as well. 
there are many measures being put in place from the federal government right now in the ways of hopefully supporting individuals there. In the context of access to their therapies or treatments, that's something where I would highly encourage individuals to contact the Patient Navigation Center at the National Psoriasis Foundation. There are programs being set up by many of the pharmaceutical companies to support efforts in this case. Many times, healthcare providers can work with patients directly to ensure that they do not have a lapse in their therapy. Um, And so we can give a lot of different options. And so I would encourage patients in that case to reach out to us and ask for some help if needed. And kind of as a follow-up question on that, another question for you, Dr. Bell, what are some strategies if someone is in a flare due to stress about the coronavirus, since we know that stress can really aggravate psoriasis, um, but maybe they're unwilling to go into the doctor's office? What options can you suggest? Is telemedicine an option? Definitely. You know, that's one of the other things that was included in the medical board recommendations is that whenever possible, routine visits should be done via telephone, telehealth, video conference. You know, we're so fortunate to have as many tools at our disposal as we do now. And so if a you know, an individual is in the midst of a flare, if they have question about their treatment, whatever that may be, it's respectful to their provider's office as well, you know, to minimize the individuals coming in and potentially exposing others. And so many healthcare providers are now offering the opportunity for individuals to contact them via FaceTime, um, via telephone. And I really encourage individuals to even proactively contact their healthcare providers, see if there are different options in that manner. And I, I would also just encourage that as a whole, if someone is experiencing stress, Again, going back to job loss, change in daily routine, there are many avenues right now to connect with others. And I think that's one of the the benefits of technology that we should definitely be leveraging. Great. And so for both of you, we've been talking about social isolation, which is a CDC recommendation to help contain the spread of COVID-19. It seems that social isolation or shelter in place could exasperate symptoms of anxiety and depression, which are known to occur at a higher rate among people who have psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. So since stress levels are so high due to the risk associated with the disease, loss of income, or even changes to daily routines, what tips can you offer to help calm stress levels, anxiety, or even to avoid symptoms of depression? I know I'm definitely feeling anxious every time I listen to the news. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, avoiding isolation is uh, is important. Um, you know, in the old days, we used to use telephones, and you can still actually call people. And I would use this downtime as an opportunity to connect with all the people you wanted to call. I and some, you know, and for those who don't use telephones, I am getting dozens of texts from friends around the country. Stay well, you know, keep well. One of us has had a, a regular interchange of jokes. Turns out I'm, I have to go to the office. Doctors are uh, the first responders. So I've been in every day. I would say the census in the office to, to confirm what Stacey said earlier is down 90%. But we are doing a lot of telederm visits. So uh, we are indeed seeing a lot of patients by this new technology, which probably will be here to stay after the coronavirus is long gone. If there is any benefit to this virus, that is one benefit. But uh, stay in touch with people is the best thing you can do. What I can add to that is, again, the the NPF has several resources. Our Patient Navigation Center has actually just put out a, a really great handout material for our community that is available online that, um, you know, references different ways that you can not only stay connected, but also self-care, even in the context of shelter in place. Um, You know, things like lots of virtual music classes and fitness classes. You know, I think exercise, I'm, I'm a big believer in what Dr. Lovell said as far as exercise for overall health. 
there are a variety of things that you can do within your the context of your home to not only connect with people, but keep yourself healthy there. I just recently heard actually that there's even like some cooking classes now that you can have ingredients delivered to your home and participate in, in cooking with a, a group of people. So you actually are having kind of a communal meal experience as well. So I think that there are definitely ways there. I think it's also a time for individuals to reconnect with the things that they really enjoy, whether that's reading a book or sewing or listening to music, again, being active in some way, shape or form, you know, even having music going in the house. So I think there's a lot of things there that can be done, but there are a wealth of resources. For those in our community that also have children at home with them, that adds another layer of of opportunity and challenge, let's say. But there are a number of resources through uh, public libraries, through museums, educational and entertainment opportunities for families. So I would encourage individuals to look into those as well. Yeah, we live in a great time for technology, thankfully. All right. So, uh, Dr. Bell, you mentioned resources to help symptoms of anxiety and depression. How about tips to help stay healthy during this stressful time? We know it's important to stay on track with treatments, eating right, and as Dr. Lovewell mentioned, exercise, which could be a bit challenging at home. Any suggestions? I think that there are a number of resources out there. There are a number of either handouts or virtual ways to participate in exercise. The other thing I'll mention there, too, is that if individuals have television networks at home and, and, you know, cable or streaming, most of them are offering exercise options for their constituents. So I think that's another place to look. Um, In regards to, you know, treatments and eating right, I think staying informed, being prized of recent guidelines from organizations like the National Psoriasis Foundation will help you be mindful of the concerns you may have about your treatment and managing your disease. Eating right is, is always important. It becomes a little more challenging when Um, you know, with shelter in place, but it also affords an opportunity to be creative. Pull out those old cookbooks you have or or look up recipes online. Again, with the ability to bring food into your home, it it provides a a unique time to try something new, try new recipes, etc. And I think the biggest thing too that in staying healthy is also trying to get some sleep. So there are a number of recommendations that the MPF also offers for bedtime routines, especially during stressful times like this, so that you can ensure that you're getting enough rest and keeping yourself healthy in that matter. I'll add that there's there are a lot of home exercises on YouTube, lots of them. So uh, that's easy to download and uh, anyone with a computer can get that. The other thing in terms of, you know, isolation and depression, YouTube has the best comedy. And if you just type in stand-up comedy, you can download the funniest routines and there's nobody can feel depressed when you watch those. Wonderful. So what are the best resources to help stay current on the status of coronavirus? It seems like there's a lot of misinformation and even myths on the internet right now. I would say, you know, listen to organizations like the NPF that come out with statements regularly. I know I've been doing webinars every Thursday, which are for physicians, they're not for patients. But uh, there are many sources of information for patients. And I would say you cannot turn on the television in New York and not hear announcements about coronavirus. And I will say, I don't think the coronavirus is going to kill me. I think all the meetings and announcements about the coronavirus I'm I'm seeing may do it. But we are overloaded with information about the coronavirus. And the truth is, it's a new virus and we don't have a lot of data. My recommendation would be there is is what we tell people routinely when they contact the National Psoriasis Foundation, you know, pursue information from credible sources. So in this particular case, the Centers for Disease Control, the World Health Organization, they are putting out guidance. I know some may feel those guidelines are maybe too conservative or maybe not detailed enough. And we've likely gotten comments about that from what the National Psoriasis Foundation has put out. 
But to date, they are those based in fact and based in the data we do have available. Even the guidance that Dr. Lovell and I are are attempting to provide in the podcast today, we're trying to make sure that we are basing it on the information that we currently have. We want to guide our community for their safe and effective care, not only for their psoriatic disease, but in cases like in times of pandemics like this. So that's my biggest advice to our community is make sure that you're gathering information from credible sources. I think all of us could probably say um, an example or provide an example of something that we've seen on the internet that is very outlandish. And right now too, people are anxious about this. So people are going to very desperate lengths to try to protect themselves or potentially self-treat. And in those cases, I would caution individuals to do that. I would encourage them to reach out to their healthcare providers, even if they have questions about preventatives, et cetera, so that they are pursuing safe options. Because the outbreak is in New York, virtually every hospital in and around New York has a page dedicated to advice about the coronavirus. And I'm at Mount Sinai, so I have a conflict there, but I can say that our, if you Google Mount Sinai coronavirus, the page will come up. It is mostly intended for healthcare professionals, but it is absolutely superb. It tells you what to do if you're symptom, if you have symptoms and think you might have the coronavirus. And your first impression might be wrong. Your first impression might be to go to your doctor's office. That's the wrong thing to do. You call first. If your doctor is seeing patients, If he's going to see you there, you're going to have to put on a mask and make sure you're not exposing others on your way and in his office. Or he may tell you to go to one of the many coronavirus testing centers. And of course, just to go because you have mild symptoms is probably a mistake too. What we're counseling patients who have mild symptoms is to self-quarantine and assume they have it. We don't want them to come to the center. On the other hand, if they are getting very ill, very high fevers, feeling short of breath, or having symptoms of more serious disease, then we absolutely want them to come to the hospital. And it's the Mount Sinai Emergency Room is where most of that takes place. And probably for many of the other hospitals in the city as well, the emergency room appears to be the main point of contact with patients who think they have advanced disease. In the early days of the disease, 90% of the patients tested were negative. Now, having said that, there's a high false negative rate. So you could have the disease and the test could still come out negative. Nonetheless, most patients with respiratory symptoms don't have coronavirus. They might have the flu. They might have a run-of-the-mill cold. Uh, Most of them don't. But the ones that do, we're actually counseling stay-at-home, self-quarantine, protect anyone at your home from catching it from you as best you can. We want you to wear a mask, stay away from older or immunocompromised people, literally separate yourself even in your home. Don't play with pets. And that way we minimize the transmission to people who are sicker. Great. That's wonderful information. And so for both of you, what final comments would you like to share to our listeners today? Well, you know, my summation of this is this is an awful time and it's changing the world we live in, but it will pass. It will hopefully and probably pass in a few months. But in the meantime, uh, using common sense and precautions will blunt the severity of this. And that's really, you know, the final comment that I'd like to make, too. I guess just to reiterate to our community that we are all in this together. Um, We're all here to support each other. We're all here to protect each other. 
And so I would encourage folks to reach out to others for support as needed, their healthcare providers, their friends, their family, with appropriate measures taken, of course. And then, of course, the National Psoriasis Foundation and anything we can offer there. The only other comment that I would like to make is that, you know, the data are changing daily, hourly, um, as we've noted in this podcast. And so we've had a lot of questions coming in about high-risk groups and, you know, oh, I don't have to worry, I'm young, it's only for the older people. And what we're finding as the data evolve, even since we put out the, the National Psoriasis Foundation Medical Board recommendations, that's what the preliminary and early data indicated for us. But I think that as more data are coming out, we're seeing hospitalization of younger people. We're seeing uh, younger people also experiencing more severe illness. And so, you know, I think that even though we can make some of those recommendations, we will become informed as this pandemic evolves. And so taking the precautions, whether you're young or old, I would encourage folks to do that. I would also encourage those of true higher risk groups, those that have chronic medical conditions like lung disease, diabetes, cancer, you know, to be very mindful of these precautions, talk to their healthcare providers. And then also, again, the final note is just taking good care. Those who smoke, this may be a good time to consider quitting. Those that uh, have not been very active, it may be a time to start thinking about that as well. But in doing so, you have support. There are a number of us here to provide information, to provide any uh, you know, resources that you may need. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lovell and Dr. Bell, for helping to address the questions and concerns NPF has received over the past few weeks. We also want to thank the many healthcare providers who are working tirelessly to combat the coronavirus every day. As a patient, if you need additional information or resources, you are not alone. Contact the Foundation's Patient Navigation Center by calling 1-800-723-9166, option 1, or by email at education at psoriasis.org. We're all in this together. Be kind to one another and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.